This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. Good morning. This is Chris Saxman on the VIP podcast. Joining us today is our new, brand new VIP, Virginia in politics. We call it, we do a little bridge there, Virginia in politics, VIP. Delegate Irene Shin from Fairfax County. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on with you today. It's great to have you on this morning, uh, Delegate Shin. Why don't you do a quick bio on yourself for the audience so they get to know you. You're recently elected. I think you're in your first term. Is this your first term? Yep, just finished my first session. <laughs> oh, wow. I to tell folks I've been in office for all of five months now, so it's very exciting. <laughs> well, it is exciting. Uh, you know, you're getting, you're getting uh, to know the place, obviously, to know your colleagues. What are your first impressions? Well, um, I was most taken aback and most surprised, I think, during my first session by how much the General Assembly um, operates on traditions and norms. You know, in a lot of workplaces, you've got employee handbooks that have requirements for how you operate and conduct business, but a lot of the way that business is run in that building is really just on norms and traditions. So the number of times I was told, that's not how we do things here. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, if I ever write a memoir of my life, it's going to be titled, that's not how we do things here. Because I just kept running against that. People who would say, you know, um, well, traditionally, it's not done that way. And I was like, but we could. (laughs) Um, And so um, I think that was really surprising. And um, but I also found it really surprising how um, how quickly the pace of session moves. I was just surprised by that. 60 days seems like a long time, but the number of bills we have before us, you know, um, I was I was surprised by how quickly it moved. It's, it's, It's a very quick process. And I think that's one of the reasons why you'll find over time uh, the adherence to norms and traditions is generally to your benefit because, because you have to operate on instinct, knowing how everyone else is going to operate. It's, uh, it would be like taking the, the, uh, the, the, the dotted lines off a highway and, you know, we just stay in, stay, stay in your lane, right? Just keep going to committees and, you know, uh, this is how we, you know, treat one another and how we, uh, pass bills and, and it's a lot of it's in the rules. A lot of it is, is dictated in the rules of the House and the Senate in particular, and they're very different, um, relatively speaking, different. Uh, what was what would be the one thing you would change though, since you brought it up? Sure. Um, I don't know that, that I could point to one thing I would change. I think there's a lot of little things. Um, you know, especially I'll turn uh, out there. Let's have some fun. <laughs> I don't, am I going to get anyone in trouble by putting the stuff out there? Um, I think the way that I don't, I don't think, look, these aren't controversial. These kind of <laughs> ideas aren't controversial. No one's going to, no one's going to go to the local democratic <laughs> committee meeting. Oh my God, what's she thinking? <laughs> well, that's what you say now, but uh, <laughs> no, I think, look, it tells it's healthy to have these dialogues on our processes and on our traditions and norms to figure out, you know, uh-huh. is it, does, should it withstand the test of time? And this is that test. Yeah, you know, I th- I th- that, that might be right. And um, I 
also have a lot of respect for how business is conducted in the General Assembly. I think there's something about the way that it's rooted in so much tradition and the idea of relationships mattering, that it's mm. beyond just politics and beyond just policy, but it matters, the one-on-one -on -one relationships you can build with your colleagues, not just in your own party, but certainly across the aisle too. I think that matters. And I've um, while there are some things that I found frustrating about the processes, um, I do think that there's something really cool and remarkable about the longevity of this institution in the way that it's been operating. Um, well, let's, let, let me, that's, a, that's a wonderful dichotomy, and I don't think I've gone the, the, in this direction with any of the, uh, the, the podcasts we've done to now, and I, and I think it would be, I think it'd be very instructive for a lot of folks because there are so many new delegates and senators um, who, who, who are testing those norms and those guardrails, right? Yeah. And, this is, and, and, and I'm perfectly willing and reasonable and been married for 31 years to know that when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, that's a daily occurrence in this household. But what, what do you think, what, what don't you, I'll throw it back to you. What would you like to see change or have understood more clearly for you to be, to be objective? That's, it's actually tougher to ask that question than it, um, because I think I have to think back on like specific examples from Sashin. Um, you know, one thing I would say was um, really disappointing for me, like the most disappointing moment of Sashin was seeing one of my bills die. Um, and coming into oh. Sashin, the advice that I got from all of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle um, was don't get married to your bills, right? Don't fall in love with your bills and you know, it's because it's going to die. And especially being a freshman in the minority caucus, right? You're like, okay, I'm coming in with no expectations. Um, and still, so HB 1054 was the bill. Um, and I did fall in love with my bill. It's something that I worked on outside of session too. It's something that I'd worked on in my professional capacity as the executive right. director of a nonprofit organization. Um, and when we like worked really hard on it, right? We brought in all the lobbyists, we conducted um, stakeholder meetings throughout session over and over and over again. Um, and we got it to a place where like, there was, you know, the phrase that everyone likes to say in the building is peace in the peace valley. In the valley. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get this straight for the audience. You worked, you did all the stakeholder stuff. You worked on this, you had passion for it. You got it to the point, did it get through subcommittee? Nope. Oh. It that that was the part that was sad about it right it was assigned first to cnl um commerce and labor commerce, yep commerce and labor's committee number two and then it got shifted in the last minute to subcommittee number four which is where all the bills went to die that night mm -hmm. so <laughs> i was like this late was what? this late in the session yep it was super late in the session I, i'm sure you saw it too i think you know when when there's leadership transitions things just sort of take time to get moving mm -hmm. and for us um it, it felt like a a mad dash at the end. Well, right? what, what, let's just for the audience, what did the bill do? Sure, it protected Virginians from um, facing utility disconnections during public states of emergency or public health crises. Okay, okay, right. perfectly reasonable uh, policy discussion to forward. Yep. Uh, one of those um, areas that you know, it's one of those. It's if if it waited so long in the session to get there, they might have just not have been enough time. Did they lay the bill on the table? They killed outright PBI. I think they killed it outright, but I can't. I can't remember what um, he said, but I remember who. I remember Michael Weber, Delegate Weber, was the one who's who uh, made the motion. And I was very sad about it. But I, I, and all that to say well, is, no, seriously, the motion is really important here. 
I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I can look it up real fast, but um, the for me, I was like, it's dead, right? Like that was effective. No, 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 no. This, is, this, is, this is where I can help. <laughs> this is where I can and help you in the audience because, <laughs> okay. because I faced this so many times in my time in the legislature. Um, and these are subtle little things that, that um, and I'll t- pull it up and it went to Congress and Labor. Right on the table. Oh, great, great, great. Uh, bill, the, the, oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. They didn't pass a harsh judgment on your bill, like PBI passed by indefinitely means it's dead with with bias, with with malice. <laughs> this is that's especially less so in the Senate, but in the House side, laying on the table probably means just not ready for prime time yet. Don't take it personally. We're just we just can't put it all in. It's not ready yet. Yeah. My suggestion would be um, before you go back for reconvening is to write the chairman of the subcommittee or call him, Delegate Weber, and say, hey, uh, can we continue this bill to next session so I can work on it in the interim rather than have the, the issue die? Mm-hmm. That's because, good advice. Great advice for a freshman like me. Well, see, and that's, and that's part of the, the understanding the processes, the norms, the traditions, because a courtesy to another member would be, yeah, we can do that. Duly noted. Um, That's an easy one. Well, so I will say that what happened was it got left in subcommittee and I was very sad about it, but the chair of CNE was kind enough, Chairman uh, Byron was kind enough to send a letter um, to the Commission on Electric Utility Regulation um, to study how do we make sure that this actually has- That's a huge win. That's a huge win. Totally. So um, I, I I will take that as a win. The bill was left <laughs> in some, but um, I do think that it, it. hopefully we have traction now in making actual recommendations. Well, um, let me, let me ask you this, Delegate. Did you ask for a letter to be sent? Mm-hmm. You did. Then that's great stuff. You, you have moved the ball on the issue. And I'm going to take you down uh, a brief synopsis of one of the issues on, uh, with which I had the greatest passion or had great passion for, for every year. And I fought tooth and nail every year to get just a little bit more progress, including I had, I cut a deal on the floor one day. Uh, I helped kill a Senate bill to have my bill that had been, that had been PBI in uh, Senate finance. Um, Tommy Norman had a bill in for a local taxing authority for James City County or Williamsburg or whatever. And I saw it die. I mean, I was, it was close on the board and I threw, a, I threw a no vote on it to see if I can get some traction and do a deal with Tommy. And it died by like two or three votes. And just like that, he was, he was at my desk, you know, five minutes later said, hey, how can I help you, Delegate Saxman? And I said, you know, Senator, I'm glad you brought that up. I have this little bill that Senate Finance PBI'd and really all I would like for you to do is you just lay it on the table. If you could lay it on the table, that would be a big help to me. He said, that's it? I'm like, that's it. So he went and got Senate finance to meet on the Senate floor to bring my bill up, reconsider the vote by which they PBI'd the bill, and just laid it on the table. That way I could say I had momentum continue to go on the issue for next year. Because what, what, ha- what people, maybe maybe freshmen and maybe in the time in which we live, there's not, there hasn't been the, the orientation process or the, the absorption of the reality of this thing. When, when you forward ideas in the legislative branch, it's a, it's a series of filters that, that represents the entire Commonwealth. And it gets to a point where it you know, cleans up all the impurities in the idea, not necessarily your bill, but it gets it to the point where the Commonwealth can then go, okay, this is what we want to do ultimately. 
And it's a very helpful process. And I'll never forget as long as I live, Delegate, the first time I presented a bill, and I'm in, we're in a huge majority. We were like low 60s, mid 60s. Uh, and I was so tensed up. That, and that the chairman of the committee, whether he was a vice chair, started asking me questions. And I was like, dude, this, comes, this, this guy's coming at me. Right. And I got real defensive. And he goes, and he's still there, by the way, Bobby Orrock. He goes, whoa, 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 delegate, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. We're trying to help you. OK, most people up there don't really care what political party you're in. They're dealing with the substance of the issue that says, OK, what can we do here? Is this a good policy? We're on the fly here. So your challenge going forward is to go to all the subcommittee members in the interim and work with them on the bill. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, that's also advice that I got in starting into session. They said, you know, you got to work your bill. They said, if you, if you end up before a sub or a committee and the members on that committee don't know your bill already because they've heard from you already, then you've done a bad job. And I was like, oh, okay. So I took that very seriously and I worked my bill and talked to all the members on the sub and on the committees. But I was surprised by how few members came and talked to me about their bill. So a bunch of stuff came before us in CCNT, and it was my first time seeing it. And I was like, oh, like maybe, maybe you don't have to work your bill that hard. Although I will give big credit to um, Delegate Avoli, who was the one member who did come and talk to me about his bill. Um, it was the the courthouse in Stanton. Oh yes, uh, well, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just that's, I, a I, one, that's a big one for John back home. Yeah, De uh, Delegate Avoli is so so kind, and um, I, I think I think the folks in his district are lucky to have him represent him. Well, he used to be my mayor and uh, oh. I've, I've known, I used to play church softball with, with John back whew, 30 years ago, <laughs> um, back in the day. And this, is, and this is the power of relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. What you're witnessing is the power of relationship. Now you have a relationship with, with uh, Delegate Abolic, which, you know, you, you, there's, no, there's, no, there's no political disrupt there, but he's, he's a bridge into the, the majority and you're a bridge for him into the minority. Uh, to to work on issues and you know you know he's he's used to he he was mayor for like sixteen years and you know it's a he's used to politics yeah. but um, the reason why most people don't come talk to you about their bills a they don't care that much b they're very busy c someone else is doing it for them mm -hmm. can I offer d I'm a freshman on committees that they don't have a lot of bills before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have the big, the big lift, uh, you know, county, cities and towns, um, you know, the, yeah. the still meets only on Friday mornings at nine o'clock. Most of the bills are worked out in subcommittee. Uh, it's a rocket docket on, on Friday mornings because everyone wants to get, get out of there. And you said you're on uh, communications, technology and innovation, you know, relatively new committee, not a lot of jurisdiction, probably not a lot of legislation. So, you know, it's a, it's a good load for a freshman to have uh, to learn especially if you're in a relatively non-competitive district from a partisan standpoint, but it's competitive internally, I would imagine, within the Democratic Party. So you have the ability to really become part of the institution. Yeah, well, I look forward to that. One of the things that um, Delegate Lopez told me early on in the during session was um, that the best way to learn how to do business in the General Assembly is by osmosis. And I was like, what does that even mean, iosmosis? And Great then at the end of the session, I was like, oh, I understand now, <laughs> right? You you have to be in it and live yeah. it, breathe it, and, you know, do it to really learn it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to continuing to learn and, you know. Well, that's a great observation by Alfonso. Smart guy, knows the system, knows the players, been around, gosh, it's probably been there 10, 10 years or so. Yeah. 
Um, so he knows, and you know, you, you fight in bruising battles. And what, an, an observation I always have with uh, the rookies, the rookie class of which I was one, obviously came in with, uh, gosh, who's still there? Uh, Danny Marshall, still there. Rob Bell, still there. Uh, just to date myself, Ryan McDougall, uh, among others in the Senate. Um, you know, I didn't realize Delegate Bell had been around so long. Now I'm gonna have to go and needle him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a good delegate too. Hardworking, very hardworking fellow. Yeah. Uh, some great advice about Korean food and where to find good Korean food in Charlottesville. So. Well, this uh, is the, now you've opened up my ears to to fun. Let's 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 do that in a second here because I'm I'm a big fan of Korean food. Um, don't know it as well as I'd like to. But, but getting back to this, the subject at hand here, uh, relative to the, the osmotic effect of just being there and learning things and slowing, slowing the game down to understand what's going on so you can make your, make your play. When we came in in 2002, and I was talking about the freshmen, you know, we were all charged up. We had a huge class, but it was also after 9-11. And you know, that, was, that was a different time in America where you had to be more bipartisan, might, you had to be more bipartisan than your opponents in the other party. So we were always trying to outdo, oh, I've got the most bipartisan bill. I'm the most bipartisan person. Um, very, very different time. Chad Peterson, another classmate of ours. And what you learn as a freshman um, in particular is, yeah, your voice is important, but you don't know where it should fit to have the impact. And since so much is on social media now and the internet and very little, relatively speaking, was back in 2002, freshmen could have more of an impact on relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's what I would probably leave you with. It's like, look, take your time, do what you want to do, focus on what you want to focus on. Yeah, don't take it personally. And I'm, and it's easy to take it personally because it, you think every vote in your district is a personal judgment decision. You know, you're working so hard. It is about you. You're the one rowing on the horse. It's your name on the poster. It's your name on the on the bumper stickers. You're the one making the phone calls to raise the money. Easy to do. Easy to do. Uh, and one of the 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 um, elements of growth in uh, being a legislator is divorcing yourself from that reality, but also being effective. Well, that's a big reason on why I ran in the first place, right? I ran in a primary um, against an incumbent because I thought there was a way in which we could conduct ourselves as legislators and um, pass business in a way that was effective, right? Without just digging in your heels and screaming about ideology. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to come onto this podcast because I know you were um, hosting it because you were one of the only political pundits who was on record saying, who do you think is going to win this primary? And you said, Irene, I think Irene can do this. And so I really appreciated that vote of confidence. Well, it was, uh, well, you're welcome. Thank you. And you're welcome. Um, the reason if I, if I remember my analysis and looking back at that race, I, I recognize that your opponent had some liabilities that were obvious. And that voters necessarily, if it was pointed out to them, uh, might not uh, want to be represented as such by your predecessor. And then I looked at your your finance reports, and I saw what you were doing and the success you were having. And I said, "This is happening." There's there's just a level you get to know races. I mean, I don't know the district that well, or your previous district, your current district, before it changes over. You just get to know an ebb and a flow. And he's like, "Yeah, this. I think there's an upset coming here." And uh, that's to your credit, the work you did early on, because races aren't one at the end, they're one in the beginning. And you set out to win that race in the beginning and you did the work necessary to, to do that. And it's, it's, it has nothing to do with bipartisanship. It's, it's, it's fundamentally data 
and uh, the data is, uh, I think, very objective. And uh, you, 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 you pulled off what mo most people can't do is, is defeat an incumbent. And we had three of those kinds of wins in the primaries last year. Uh, yeah. I'm really lucky to have come in with uh, Michelle Maldonado um, and Elizabeth Bennett Parker. They're both really fantastic delegates and such good friends to have in the caucus. Yeah, I would imagine um, uh, it it has been what's uh, reassuring to know you weren't alone. You just didn't. It wasn't just you. Uh, there was, and there's that ebb and flow that happens in politics. People don't understand. It's like there's there's movements within movements, and you know I think y'all. You really came at, a, at, a, at an important time for your party as well, because there, you know, there was, I think your, your predecessor was part of the overreach mm -hmm. and you're part of the, the enthusiasm <laughs> against the former president. And after a while, things settle out. Yeah. Um, fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what do you uh, so? What do you do in the summer, Delegate Shin, to uh, prepare for the next session? I mean, the, the current one's still underway. This is, and I have to make a plug here for the business community. We cannot continue to have these long, uh, endless sessions. We got to get our work done on time and move on. That's one of the traditions uh, that we cannot change because it sends a really bad signal to the best rest of the business community that Virginia is ready to do the business and get uh, and get its affairs in order. Sure, absolutely. I think it's, um, and I think as you said, Virginia has been known for doing that, and we usually it seems like have in the past gotten our jobs done. That was one thing I found surprising too, this budget process. And one thing that I was told, that's just how things are done. I thought as a member of the House of Delegates, I would certainly, surely have more visibility into the budget. <laughs> oh, aren't you? <laughs> you are just adorable to think about. <laughs> Members of the majority were calling me be going, what the hell's going on? I'm like, don't look at me, talk to Barry. And he's, they're like, he's not returning, you know. You know, even yeah, no. no, no, turns out I knew just as little <laughs> as anyone else right. um, and learned a lot um, from the Washington Post articles. Um, and it was it was great because right before we went into session, we had a town hall here in the Sully Magisterial District and Senator Barker joined us for updates from session and he gave a debrief on the budget. And I was like, wow, this is great. I've learned so much. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Again, this goes to relationships. I, because Barry Knight was my seatmate his freshman year. So I, and I helped him out freshman year and he's never forgotten it. And he always mentions it at, uh, at our Virginia free meetings when he speaks or is uh, given an award or whatever. And he always brings up the, 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 the moment on the floor when he was being quizzed by now Congressman Morgan Griffith about whether his bill was a section one bill doing the freshman, you know, uh, take down, if you will, on the floor, the, the uh, tradition, of testing the freshman on the floor. And I told him this, I said, just say yes and sit down. And he turned around and said, yes, and just sat down and that was it. Um, and he's never forgotten that. So I, I mean, Barry and I have a very good relationship mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, never, I don't trespass on that because it's friends first, but there were, we had uh, several long conversations before y'all's meeting last week about where things stood on the budget. So I was able to, able, I was able to get some in, you know, insight into what was going on because it came right from the horse's mouth um but that's why i encourage people to develop relationships and not not strategically but more um thematically like this is i just want to be with everybody because you never know who's going to be where they're going to be in five and ten years you just don't sure 
yeah. Um, so that was certainly one thing that I found surprising. And uh, if I could maybe change, like having a little more visibility <laughs> into budget negotiations, because as I understand, it's like, you know, 13 people who go into a room and then come out and it reminds me of the Hamilton song, right? No one else was in the room where it happened. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's uh, that's, well, that's one thing. One, one way to do that, frankly, is to develop relationships, not just with members, but also staff. Um, yeah. You know, I haven't been there in the house in, gosh, it's been 12 years, you know, and I still have a good relationship with Ann Oman, uh, Susan yeah. Massart, uh, Tony Maggio, uh, you know, hey, I, you know, treat them just like everybody else. Yeah. And they really appreciate it. And, um, you know, develop relationships takes time. It's worthwhile. They're very interesting people. That's why I love doing these podcasts. We get to meet people. And, you know, I uh, interviewed Don Scott before the, the, uh, the turnover, the changeover in the uh, in-house minority leadership there. So, you know, those are, you know, wonderful opportunities. And I, and I can't impress upon you enough the, the need to go build those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly one of the first lessons I learned was about the importance of relationships in that building. Um, which brings me to a, another fun story and uh, pivot back to what you wanted to talk about, which is Korean food. As you know, one of my resolutions that I um, introduced this year was the Kimchi Day resolution. So in Virginia, starting this year on November 22nd, we'll have Kimchi Day where folks can- well, I did not know this and now I am thrilled to understand that because I'm a fan <laughs> of most foods. What? Excellent. Are you in Richmond now, Chris? I am short pump. Yep. West okay. Virginia. So you've got some, you've got access to some Korean food in Richmond. You know, I, I don't. Oh. And um, the- uh, the, the lady who, who runs a, a local business here is Korean and and uh, she we were talking about Korean food and she said, no, you really can't find a good Korean food in Richmond, Northern Virginia you can, but not around here. And I was like, I was kind of disappointed to learn that. Well, if you talk to Delegate McQuinn, um, she will tell you that there is a place called Garden 88 on Mechanicsville Turnpike that serves great Korean food. Um, so- <laughs> According to Delegate McQuinn, we tried. Oh, okay. Wait, well, I'm going to need I'm going to need a little impromptu from uh, from Delegate Shin to uh, <laughs> stamp approval here. Yes. Well, one I, I uh, we've been to go and we just haven't been able to find time. I, I'm looking forward to going with her. Um, well, I, she, mean, I, I love Dolores. Let's 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 all three of us get together and we'll do some <laughs> chat. And y'all can meet up early and talk your business. Or when I leave, you can talk your business. And I, I would love to be taken uh, through a, a primer course on Korean food. That sounds like a plan. I think there's a number of delegates in the house who would probably want to join for that. So maybe we should make a day of it. Um, you should. I mean, that, that should be a calling card for you. Though, <laughs> Seriously, because I mean, um, you know, people do that. I and mean, that's how I, that's how you break the ice with people. I lived with um, um, uh, Ryan McDougall for four years and we, we would have dinner parties mm. at the house. Kathy Byron was one of our guests one, one night, you know, and, you know, and it was one of those, I made a mistake. I didn't put the creme brulee in to, to <laughs> the appropriate times like no okay I'll, I'll fix this because it was homemade and all that kind of stuff so it's a food is a great icebreaker it's a great uniter breaking bread is a great tradition yeah and, absolutely uh, absolutely strongly recommend it yeah Especially the food's good absolutely um during our orientation with the house delegate rome um and i think it was delegate brewer and batten came to talk to the freshmen about you know some uh, advice that they may have for us. And Delegate Rome's advice was, you know, break bread with at least three members of um, the opposite party and get to know folks over there. And so I, I certainly agree that eating and like cuisine and dining together is part of building culture together um, and a fun way to expose folks to other cultures like um, mine. But the, the story really about the resolution is 
you shared being really nervous during your first bill. And I had the same uh, reaction during, it was rules committee, right? So like, it's oh, the yeah. that's <laughs> super stacked, right? It's like, there's, yeah. there's three Democrats in there and the rest of the 20 member committee are Republicans. I'm sitting in there with Speaker Gilbert staring at me and I'm like, oh geez. <laughs> so I'm trying to like get through this really fast. It's like right. 6 p.m. for them. And so all the members of this committee are looking at me and they're like, you're talking about kimchi and I'm starving right now. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm so sorry, but if you want to come to my office afterwards, I've got some Korean snacks you can have. And so, you know, we get through this, they pass, um, they vote to pass uh, the resolution. And afterwards I go into my office and I'm sitting in there and I hear a knock on the door and it's Delegate O'Quinn and uh, Leader Kilgore. And I was like, hi. And, you know, it's my first time having an interaction with them one-on-one. -on -one. And they say, I heard you had some snacks. <laughs> and I was like, I do have snacks. And so I hooked them up with some Korean snacks and um, kept them from getting too hangry that evening. Um, but it well, was- that can, that can really, really help you. And I'll, I'll tell you what we used to, what I used to do, because I ran, uh, I don't know, three or four subcommittees at, at one point, And I had the hardest time getting, getting my subcommittee to meet. It was in the afternoon. It's like Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, but my, my wife makes the most incredible chocolate chip cookies. And so I ended up bringing the chocolate chip cookies and putting them in, in the middle of the table. And as soon as one of the committee members would arrive, I would dole out the cookies, but not until they were all there. So they put pressure on each other to get there. And then if a lobbyist would come in and present the bill, I'd allow them to have a, a chocolate chip cookie too. It became a thing for my subcommittee. Well, it, it not two years ago, someone reminded me of how good those cookies were. I said, did your wife still make those cookies? Oh, this, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's the kind of thing that can really bind people and don't understand, don't underestimate the power of food. Hmm. Well, if you're ever in CCNT next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you chuck, chuck a cookie. Thing. Yeah. If you're ever before CCNT. Um... Yeah, I hope, I hope to never be before. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't wish that upon you either, so it's fine. No, I mean, I'm far more relaxed than I would have been otherwise, but um, well, good. So what else are you working on, Delegate? Um, we've got a couple of things. So actually, um, Delegate Rasool runs this really cool thing in his district called Write Your Own Bills. Um, and there are workshops with community members who come in with ideas for bills that they have to sort of um, work on and workshop together with other members of the community. And Delegate Rasool helps them to, you know, refine it and call it and then help them shop it out for patrons. Um, and so I've decided to sort of borrow that idea and launch it here in the 86 district. Um, right. And so we'll be doing a couple of those workshops this summer. Um, and one of the disadvantages of being a freshman that I wasn't aware of going into this, right? 2021, November, we get elected. And then two weeks later, we have orientation. I don't have login information into LIS. I can't pre-file any bills. I can't do any of this stuff. I have to have these stakeholder meetings as session is happening as we're working on the bill. And so I think one of the things I, I really look forward to taking advantage of this year is having that runway to properly mm -hmm. work on a bill, yeah. um, to okay. build peace in the Valley before I get into session as much okay. as I can. Because um, that was a huge disadvantage as a freshman. I didn't inherit any bills that you know my predecessor was working on. I didn't, we, you know, you get, you get thrown into the deep end and um, figure it out. Yeah, and that's, and that's one, one of the things that I, that I would impress upon freshmen and most delegates and senators for them, at any rate, is don't be so obsessed with passing your own bill, but helping the other bills do the good things and killing bad bills. Because mm -hmm. folks back home cannot differentiate between House Bill 1054 and 1045, and they don't care. Okay. What they care about is what they care about. And if you care about what they care about and reflect it back to them, uh, they'll send you back. 
And if you're, if you're signing on bills or co-patroning bills that do what you want to do and help your constituents within your party, you know, that's what they want to know. If you can pass your own bill, the the brochure, but I passed this X, Y bill, you know, the people don't care. You know, if, if, you're, if you're nice, if you, if you're things, if, if, seriously, if, you, if you're nice, you, you show up, they're going to send you back. I mean, that was the problem with your predecessor. It was antagonistic and uh, it, it got a blind spot. Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, That's why you ran, right? It is. <laughs> it is. Um, and, you know, I will say killing bad bills seems to be um, a particular challenge as a freshman in the minority caucus. It's hard to kill bad bills now because. A lot of bad bills get through, and all I can do is hope that the Senate holds their line on it. Well, again, um, killing bills is a process. It's not necessarily uh, doing it in front of you because you don't have the votes in subcommittee. Making a substantive argument against a piece of legislation and forwarding that argument to your friends in the other chamber down the down the down the hall there yeah. can be just as powerful and meaningful to be part sure. of that process too. Yeah, absolutely. And to, and to do it in a way that doesn't antagonize the majority to outright kill your bills. Definitely. We did, we did, I did that with great pleasure, uh, was killing members' bills that I didn't really care about, but because they had overstepped the mark, if you will, uh, and did some things that were untoward, this is, this is the baseball analogy of throwing a beanball. Every once in a while, you just got to gotta pitch inside to let the batter know you can pitch inside whenever you feel like it. And it also sends a signal to the rest of the, rest of the team, both teams, like you're willing to do this. And there were a couple moments that were incredibly tense, that just had to be done um, mm-hmm. because someone overstepped the mark and behaved inappropriately to a, a senior member of our caucus. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very, very bad. And we flat out killed every single bill he had. Wow. It could have been, it could have been written in Cyrillic alphabet, but it had his name on it. We'd have killed it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it was just, and everyone else in the team said, we get it. We get it. We'll talk to him. And problem was solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's a tradition and a norm that the body still operates by, right? Where you, it's not necessarily about, it really isn't about the good or the order of like the commonwealth, the business of commonwealth, of the commonwealth and legislation. It's about like making sure that you're sending your signals and cues to be able to operate the business, right? Or the entity of the general assembly. And so I think it's, um, it's all that stuff is just so fascinating to me how people operate that way. Well, again, because you're going so quickly and you're taking care of other people's bills, you know, you, you're, you move in instinct. Mm-hmm. And when someone gets out of line and does something that's that bad, you can't let it continue because it, it, will, it will undo all that you constantly work on. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Um, and I, and it's, I think that sort of discipline or adherence to discipline, right, is... Um, respectable right saying like like we're going to sacrifice this now because we know for the long term this is the investment we're willing to make i think again there's so much about um the general assembly that i think is a little bit old and maybe a little outdated but there are some things about it that i think are um really cool that they've sort of um survived the test of time and like those practices and traditions yeah and that's and that's it's um it's very helpful to the process i mean because look i overstepped the mark a couple of times and it, it bit me <laughs> it bit me you know uh, i'm a passionate guy i care about my issues and you know i thought i was mistreated and i didn't hold my tongue and apparently some people heard my tongue and i had to go <laughs> slump my way over to the cup co- the senator who was offended and say senator i deeply apologize for what i said but i was reminded by my house colleagues that yeah you were right but you shouldn't have said it <laughs> 
Um, was your apology accepted? It was. Very okay. He said, I understand. It's, it's it, you know, very much so. Most people are most people are like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, uh, it wasn't personal. It's just, it just get, look, things get heated. It's, a, it's an important place. It's, you know, there's passions run high. And issues yeah. are important. Um, especially as session grinds on and you get close to crossover and you're running out of time and you want to get this bill passed and um, you can you can lose your edge. Yeah. So. Well, what, um, looking back, what do you miss the most about serving in the house? Oh, my colleagues. Oh, but you still get to hang out with them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's why. That's probably why I still like doing what I do. I mean, <laughs> I, I told, I, in my farewell speech I, on the floor, um, I said, you know, I'm not going to miss much about this place, but I'll miss every single one of you because you're good, honorable people for the most part who uh, work hard. I respect because of the work you put in to get here, and uh, I think you're here for the right reasons. And yeah. once you once you do that, that's that's what I miss. I mean, I miss a lot of the process. It's fun. It's just a fun. Every day is a fun puzzle to solve. Um, but uh, I, I think I can uh, hopefully make a make a difference by doing what we're doing here. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and, and one, one of the reasons why I liked you in particular, uh, not during your race, but you came up to me in an event and you thanked me. And I never met you before when I when I made the prediction about your race. Uh, and I was like, that was a really nice thing for you to do. You didn't have to do that. And that made, always made an impression on me. Oh, well, thank you. Um... I, I would be curious to hear from you about, you know, thinking back, you, clearly it was a very easy answer for you to say, I'm going to miss my colleagues. Like that's the number one thing that stands out. Um, do you remember any of the challenges that you faced as a, as a delegate? Um, and I wonder sure. if any of those are still sure. relevant, if there's been any changes. I wonder if I face those same challenges and if there are ways that we can think about what are ways to improve that? Um, those um, it's a fine line to balance passion and purpose and not taking it personally. Hmm. Um, and that's and, and the best the best in the business, uh, and I say the business, the, 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 the legislators who, who are really good at the craft of not just legislating, but also being a candidate and balancing, being a candidate and governing. I, I've always found that to be something that, that I, I wished I had been better at, but at the time we had a, a small growing family, uh, four kids under the age of, uh, I think I was, Mary Catherine would have been nine when I was elected, mm -hmm. uh, maybe eight. And then we had four. Um, we, Michelle gave birth right about this time <laughs> in your freshman year uh, for our fourth and a, and a family business, a growing family business. Um, and the time was very different. And it's so much more partisan than it was back then. Um, um, and then people, and then what's put upon you by so many people. That's the one thing that I found very frustrating is that everyone's like, oh, you got to run the statewide. I'm like, I, I like what I do now. I'm like, all right, I'll think about it. You know, I, I had no real plans to do it, but um, of course I had no real plans to run for the house in the beginning. But, so, you know, I, I like making a difference. I like trying to get things done. Um, I like some of the fight in there, um, but there's a point at which no one comes back. <laughs> yeah. there's no comeback bids for a job that pays over $17,000 a year you know yeah. it's that's brutal y'all need to be paid you know, at least five times as much you make right now yeah truly um to make it worthwhile um to get the talent that we need totally just I'd like to work on some of the institutional problems but you know that's part of history and life you just pass the baton from one generation to the next yeah well I think that that's certain the salaries are one part of the systemic 
um, and institutional changes I'd like to see, right? Because you're talking about who's able to serve in office, right? You it, it immediately right off the bat um, eliminate a number of folks who would be qualified or great public servants in office because $17,000 is not enough. I have, I still keep my full-time job and trying to be a part-time legislator and a full-time employee is gosh near impossible. Um, and I can't imagine have, I have a dog, but I don't have, <laughs> I don't have kids. And so I, I trying to find that balance with having a family and all that. It just seems. Well, awful. if I didn't have the support of my family and our business, which was our family business, at the time, there's no way I could have considered it, but you know, and I, and I wanted to, um, it was instinctive when I was asked to consider running and that's how it happened. And then I blame Nicole Riley, who's now the, um, she's going to move over to commerce and labor. Now she's at labor. Um, you know, it's, you know, the opportunity comes up, you take your shot downfield and you, and you get it, but you know, it's a lot. People don't understand how much it is. And I, I think the, the, the difficulty in a district like that I had was that I was so exposed publicly. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go anywhere versus being in Northern Virginia and more populous regions, you're probably not as recognizable as, you know, people in the, in the, in the other parts of the state. Yeah. Um, a couple of my colleagues up here and I have not yet put our new license tags on our cars for that very reason. <laughs> Keep a little bit of anonymity. <laughs> yeah, I never did. I, my wife always had it on her, uh, her minivan. Um, but I mean, it would take, I, go for a loaf of bread and a milk, the proverbial loaf of bread and milk at the grocery store, it'd take me two hours. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, it got to the point literally where I had to say, look, we're dialing back our media because every time uh, one of the local TV stations would say, hey, we get a quote on this. And, yeah, sure, come on over. And we do a, we do a press hit at the office. And it, I was at a, one of my kids' baseball games, Little League games. And this kid goes, hey, I see you on TV all the time. I was like, I'm a little <laughs> overexposed right now if a 10-year-old saying this. You know? So. Yeah, good media penetration. I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> it was not a problem. It was all it was a curse. It was a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's great. I I uh, hope to never reach that level of fame in my district. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because I mean, people would say like your colleagues up in Northern Virginia be like, "How do you get so much media coverage?" I'm like, seriously. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, for us, we're competing against DC, right? The DC media market, right. Washington Post. But um, I will say, you know, that it probably is better when I was knocking doors last year. In the primary and um, the number of times i was asked like oh are you here to sell girl scout cookies <laughs> <laughs> and you think i i really i really wish i were kidding but it it happened a number of times um to the point where i had to like rethink my field strategy i was like should i carry girl scout cookies around with me would that increase my contact rate like would people be more willing to open the door if i had a wagon full of Girl Scout cookies, but um, you know that sort of anonymity is is. That might not be a bad hook for you. Is that like, yeah, I've got some Girl Scout cookies. Can I also take that transportation? <laughs> it's just like a, get a contract with like a local troop and have them walk with me. Right, the way to do it. Um. <laughs> you, 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 everyone's always looking for an edge, right? When it comes to politics, it's a way to stand out because yeah. your your market's so much more saturated. Uh, it's true, um, but you know it's it's really. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like living in a little bit of anonymity is nice, and um, so much so that in the general assembly building, day one, my friends and I um, had a wager going into session. They and the wager was, how many days is it going to take before someone asks Irene whose staff she's on, who does she work for? Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I and the line was three days, and most of my friends took the over on three days, and I said, okay. So I get there, day one, I'm in the elevator in the Pocahontas building. Someone walks in, a lobbyist who shall remain unnamed, 
um, walks in and he's like, beautiful morning and making small chat. And he looks at me and I'm wearing, you know, like my ID badge. He looks at me and he's, oh, so whose office do you work for? <laughs> Day one. Um, so by the end of session, we had kept tally. And so we had 14 marks on that chart. Um, 14 times someone asked me, who do you work for? Um, so it's a, I don't, people seem to think that I'll always remain as anonymous because. Well, you're young and you're new. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's a, I don't think it's a, um, you know, it was said with malice, but I'll remember. It oh, totally. Me, it reminds me that the the night I was elected for the first time in 2001, again, this is less than two months after 9-11. And things had settled out by then politically. And it was like a gubernatorial year. We gave, gave the speech in front of the, the audience there, the, 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 the supporters and the party folks. And we get off stage, you know, announcing, and I actually announced that Michelle was pregnant with our fourth child, who just, we just moved to New York City this past weekend on an internship, tells you how long ago it was. Wow. Yeah, right. I come off stage, go to the bar to get a beer, and the first question I get, delegate, the first question I get, what are you running for next? <laughs> Here, here's, the, here's the kicker. It was asked by my parish priest. I was like, I was like, really, Father? <laughs> oh man, can't catch a break. Yeah, I was like, I, that, but that brought home to me how people look at politics versus, you know, because yeah. I'm like, look, I really just want to run for delegate and want to be a delegate. I mean, I'm, yeah. you know, and yeah. I go, I go to the office the next day, and my dad goes, you know, you should run for lieutenant governor. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Different kind of father, but yeah, still same. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I, I never thought about that before. That's a great, <laughs> great observation. But I was stunned. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, um, that, not I, what I have in mind. I don't even have, I don't even have a I don't even have a suit yet to wear to my swearing in. And you guys are looking at my next my next yep, office. Yep, yep, yep. That I, that happens often, I think, to everybody. And um I think I have the same answer as you, right? I really like being a delegate and I've always believed that state and local politics is really where the we can have the biggest impact and make the biggest difference. Um, and I like where we are. So anyways, it's and Virginia is a cool place to do this work. The but I, we have to I think hop off pretty soon, but I wanted to get your take on something else. Sure. Um, you talked a, a couple of times about how the partisanship right now yeah. is so much more intense and um maybe worse is the wrong word for it, but I would say like maybe just like worse. It's worse. worse. Yeah. Um, and I'd be curious to hear from you, like, if you know, as having been in this business for as long as you have and having as much experience as you do, um, what do you think is the path forward out of here, right? How do we move forward um, into like more common sense, bipartisan stuff? And um, where do we get, how do we get to a place where compromise is no longer a dirty word, but it's about well, like, you know, you, when, you, when you go to the doctor and you say to the doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this, doctor says, don't do that. That's the old line, right? That's the, old, that's the old throwaway joke. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Doctor says, don't do that. Uh, don't do that uh, and call it out. And that's one of the things that, that I try to write about is you know, compromise is what politics is. That's all it is. Without, without politics, it's violence mm -hmm. is how you get change. And I try to point that out in an esoteric way, but also in a realistic way. And I think eventually you'll, you'll see uh, at least a third party run at the national level, probably in 24, the, the, the conditions are just too ripe in the marketplace uh, for that. So the same thing, um, 
in 92 with Ross Perot. Uh, we do have to go. Uh, I know time is running short. I want to follow up with this. I, I loved our interview and talk today because it's the first time I've been interviewed by a, by, a <laughs> by someone. And I want to thank you for coming on, Delegate, Delegate Shannon. We can follow up on this very important topic. This is Chris Saxon on the VIP podcast brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. Let me see, there they are. Those guys in the background there, I can't get my thumbs right. Virginia Free. Uh, Please subscribe, like, and share on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Delegate Shin, thanks so much for enjoying, uh, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I certainly did. Thanks for having me, Chris. You bet. Take care.